Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I am Aaron Schweitzer, your host, along with Central Oregon's most perceptive and probing reporter, Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. This podcast is also generously supported by Worthy Brewing, putting education first, utilizing green technologies, and experimenting daily to brew the best damn beer in the Pacific Northwest, all while treading as lightly on the earth as possible leaving out their mantra, earth first, beer second. Our guest today is Tammy Bainey. She is the executive director of the Central Oregon Intergovernmental Council, which for those of you who don't know, COIC is a group of representatives from each city and the tribes of Central Oregon who work together on economic development, housing, job training, employment, and public transit. And I'm guessing, uh, slew of other things that we just won't go into listing here since you're the everything organization. Served as a Deschutes County Commissioner from 2007 to 2019, was the youngest Deschutes County Commissioner ever elected at 35 and only the fifth woman. Is involved in a wide range of community service work and has served as a board member on dozens of regional and statewide nonprofits and government commissions. She is currently serving on the Central Oregon Health Council and has been heavily involved at the state level with modernizing the public healthcare system. Whew, Tammy, you've been busy. <laughs> it's been quite a wild ride, I'll tell you that. Um, well, from a young age, you became involved in um, helping people and, and service to the uh, community. How did you get started at such a young age and wanting to get involved in this kind of work? Well, so I was raised in Bend, out east of town, uh, Pilot Butte, uh, Buckingham, Mountain View, COCC, kind of ran the gamut. And being able to stay in the community was a luxury. Um, the economy back in the late 80s, early 90s was not great. Housing market, it was really difficult to get a job to be able to stay in town. And so I felt fortunate and I wanted to just get involved. And so I uh, became a CASA at 25. I'd done some other volunteer work prior to that and a court appointed special advocate um, then took me to some advocacy work about children and family issues. And uh, what, then I became a foster parent and uh, that really opened my eyes to the need in the community. And from there I went on to serving with the um, Commission on Children and Families. And that took me to Salem on a number of occasions being able to share stories about our community and the need for support. And so it really was this sort of natural progression of if you want your voice heard, you kind of have to show up and, um, you know, citizens really, you know, it's, that's how it's, how it's set up is for us to be involved. And so I, I just sort of just rolled in, into different roles and um, then decided, well, I think I better run for office um, if I really want to affect change. And, and there you have it. How, being a CASA volunteer at 25, I mean, that's a pretty serious commitment. How, uh, what, what was that like? So I had two cases. Uh, one was a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and that wow. was my first case. And um, quite frankly, at that age, I'd never heard of methamphetamine. It was um, sort of the scourge at the time in our community, um, which led me into starting the Meth Action Coalition alongside Bruce Abernethy back in 2003. Uh, but it was, it was a serious uh, big, heavy commitment. Uh, I had always wanted to go to law school, thought I'd be a public defender, you know, sort of do that sort of thing. That wasn't my path. I think my path is meant to be more uh, publicly, civically involved in the community as I have been. 
Um, but I, I took it very seriously. It was heavy, um, like I mentioned, uh, because the subject, and you know, it's children, and right. they're right there. You are to be their eyes and ears, and um, to help the courts do what's right for them, not what's best for the parents or the system. It's, it's what's on the best right. interest of the child. So it was a, a big commitment. I really enjoyed it. Um, and but you were so, making those decisions at 25. I mean, you're. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, some might have been like, "Wait a minute, I don't know. I just hung out with you last night. Are you sure right. you should be doing this?" Right. But you know, it it, it mattered, and, and we had we had a need, and we didn't have enough casas. Uh, not unlike today, we don't have enough casas for the children in our system that desperately need to have someone stand for them. So it was sort of that premise, maybe as the undertone of, of why I why I do what I do. Yeah. What, currently, you're working in the health system. What do you What are your What is your project now? What is your passion? So I just finished. Uh, be, I have been a member on the statewide health improvement plan, which is setting forth the next ten year plan for the state initiatives around health improvement for the public health division. And locally working with the Central Oregon Health Council, which is our coordinated care organization, really making sure that we are being good stewards of the tax dollars, but most importantly, that we're building a system that meets the needs of those that we are trying to serve. Often it's the reverse. It's how does that system work for us? Yeah. Better get to that right. doctor's appointment between eight and five. Um, and you better have transportation there and you, you, know, you better be able to know the system and what to say. So it's really trying to break down those barriers and find ways in which we can get to people differently to have their needs met. I remember as a county commissioner, mental health issues was a big part of um, your work at that time and a lot of what the, why the community sent you back as many times as they did. What is your, um, what's your feeling about the state of, of mental health during this period and how we're evolving and providing during that time? I would say that there's better recognition than there had been 15 years ago, but I would say that the stigma still outweighs the investment right. and that there still is a um, societal stigma of what mental wellness means. And so in terms of the actual investment, we're still trying to connect that the head is connected to the rest of the body right. and that if you are not mentally well, the rest of your physical being is not going to be well. So I would say that we're still, in my opinion, sorely lacking in our understanding, which then drives investment. And it takes, unfortunately, tragic events, so high suicide rates, you know, public people that we know that have had tragic experiences. True. That tends to drive it instead of this foundational piece that, you know, my head's connected to the rest of my body. And if it's not working right, how can I expect everything else to? Does, what is COIC's role with regard to um, mental health issues? Do they have, is there a piece to that that you work on? So not necessarily unless an issue were to come across uh, the region where we needed to maybe facilitate bringing people together. Um, the crisis stabilization center that was just funded, that could have been something that took nearly 15 years to get across the finish line, just to just the funding, the political will, um, so we, we would play the role of bringing in funds. We would play the role of maybe facilitating discussions to say, hey, is there a community need here? And if so, then let's identify how we can go about getting funds and uh, make this happen. So for us, we, don't, we try not to own things. We try to make sure that they get done. And right. so in that space right now, we, uh, mental health and well-being has not hit our radar. 
uh, but we are uh, on the fringes of it around housing uh, and some other other pieces. Well, we have a newspaper, so maybe we'll we'll write something that'll somehow embroil you into raising funds and doing more in that area. <laughs> uh, Laurel, do you want to fire some questions off? Sure. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your position with COIC and and how you started there. It was almost immediately after you finished at the county. Were you recruited? Well, yes, let's go back to closed primaries. <laughs> and so in May of 18, uh, we have closed primaries here and I did not survive the primary. Um, I do wear that a little bit as a badge because I have felt from day one that I serve people, not a party. And so, uh, you know, for me, it was what's next for I, um, my goal in life is service. And so I um, started looking around for what I felt would um, give back to the community as well. Um, looked outside the region a tad, but just sort of thought, okay, I have a few months and uh, I want to continue doing some of the efforts that I've been involved with. There was a small group of friends, or so I thought at the time, who said, hey, let's have drinks. And they had this idea of me taking the position or at least applying for it at COIC. And uh, I graciously said, that's, that's great, but I don't know that I am the right person for the organization. And um, and part of that was just based on where the organization, it, it felt, um, well, stalled. And uh, not that anyone was doing anything wrong, it's an incredible organization, but I just, I felt sort of like I might not be the right fit. And so I started to dig into some of their aspirational ideas of where they wanted to be and looked at some uh, strategic planning uh, efforts that they had been going through. And I thought, okay, I think I, I mean, I'm ready for what might, what might be and why not? So I applied and there were 49 people that applied, came down to five of us. Uh, and then two, so I, I definitely was sweating it a tad and uh, they decided to go with me. And so I took, I took position uh, the same day that I actually had board meetings at the county. So um, I worked the morning at the county and then I went over to COIC later that afternoon to sort of introduce myself and say, hello. <laughs> so that's how it happened. And I've been so grateful. Oh my goodness. What an incredibly talented, dedicated group. And it's just been trying to get barriers out of their way and help them just get to yes. So it's been I, pretty exciting. I mean, you're being pretty polite to say that as you stepped into the organization, it was stalled. Uh, it, it was probably uh, not moving and in a place where it probably would not have moved had they not gotten the right executive director in there at the time. Am I correct? I appreciate you saying that. You can go that. ahead and pat yourself on the back. For <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been... It's been a wild ride, I'll tell you that, because there are some departments, we are completely grant and contract funded. We do not have a tax base. So as a council of governments, many will have a small tax base where they can sort of do cool things. Um, for us, we, need, we have a very low membership commitment as well. So let's take Lane County Council of Governments, their general fund from just their members is a little over 300,000 we are at 70,000. So that is what I use for unrestricted dollars to be able to invest time because we have to bill our time to each one of those grants. And so it uh, allows us to be more creative, but I will tell you that we have been blessed with opportunities since I have come on board. It just feels like, COIC, can you do this? Well, how about that? And six of those and yeah. two of these. And 
So it's also trying to make sure that we're not so thin and stretched that we can't be good at what we're doing. But I do believe that we have the right team if the barriers are removed to help them think creatively about how we serve the region. Can you talk about some of the accomplishments that since you've come on? Well, sure, you bet. Uh, we have, well, last year we graduated or uh, were able to get GEDs to a little over 200 students. So we operate an alternative youth education program and that operates in Prineville, Redmond, Bend, and Lapine. We also were able to partner with the Oregon Youth Challenge Program last year. So we now contract and provide teachers to be able to um, provide the support out at the Oregon Youth Challenge Program. Uh, we have been able to, uh, just recently, we contacted over 800 businesses in the region to be able to get to them in terms of what the need is and make sure that they're captured in the numbers so that for the COVID recovery, we have a good feeling of what the um, regional need is so that the state and federal dollars will match up with what the um, with that on the ground look is. Um, we've invested a little over 1.3 million into the region so far in COVID recovery funds. And part of that, um, getting back, Erin, to your comment, so we, the cities and counties could have gone on their own and said, hey, we have a little program, apply here. Sure. We brought everybody together and said, hey, let's leverage those funds. If you want to put in Deschutes County, Crook County, put in funds, we'll keep it in your community. We're not going to put it in you know, another right. jurisdiction. But we're going to leverage those dollars with other resources that we've brought on, which reduces the overhead to the individual businesses that are trying to go through the myriad of red tape. But also it helps to get more dollars into the region as well. So those are some of the, the little highlights that we've, we've been working on. Some of the small things. Yeah, we have this little <laughs> transit thing too that we do. <laughs> yeah, that's, we were going to, uh, so can you explain a little bit how Cascade East Transit fits into COIC? You bet. So as a council of governments, we are meant to fill whatever gap is in the region. And so it's either something that a, a, a county or a city doesn't want to do on their own, they can't do on their own, or they shouldn't. And that's sort of my view of how we ended up with transit. City of Bend, we were providing some services out in the rural areas, but limited. And the city of Bend had had um, sort of a false start or maybe some hiccups in their own system around the same time. And we're looking for a partner to be able to take on the service. And so CYC, being the Council of Governments, City of Bend is a partner, then we took on that service. So CET is a department of COIC. There is a, a small nuance there. So the Bend Fixed Route Transit System is operated by a contract provider. So the drivers for the Bend system are not um, CYC employees. But everyone else, the call center, maintenance, okay. vehicle washers, they are CET or COIC employees. Interesting. And how does the funding structure work for CET? Well, we have bailing wire and chewing gum. Uh, <laughs> we are grant and contract funded. So we are a blend of uh, federal funds, state funds, local funds. Uh, fares are a small portion of what we have as revenue. And so um, we are the largest transit provider in Oregon that is not a, ta a transit district. So what that means is we do not have, as I mentioned, the base funding that a transit district would usually have to where you can have uh, capital reserves for different things. We, every project has to be identified for a specific purpose and those funds are very restricted and isolated into those areas. So, so it, 
Okay, go ahead. Well, no, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just wondering if you could explain the um, stiff funds that are coming from the state payroll tax and, and how those eventually filter into CET. Yes, they arrive by pack mule. So here's the other cool thing about us. So we, not being a transit district, the transit districts were identified in House Bill 2017, which actually is the genesis of the payroll tax. And so the STIF funds go to what's called qualified entities. And so in our region, we have four qualified entities. So that means that the dollars go to all three counties, Crook Deschutes, Jefferson, and the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. We then meet and create committees for each one of those qualified entities to determine what their priorities are. Then we have one master committee, this uh, Uber committee that is regional and they take all that information in. And then we go before each one of those qualified entities to discuss the projects. Some touch the other jurisdictions, some don't. And then that group, that county or that uh, or the tribes then determine what it is that they want to invest those dollars in. And they may or may not be the priorities that came through those committees. So it trickles down in a very uh, sort of, you know, it'd be the mousetrap game, I think, a little bit. And it then goes to us as actual projects. So for Deschutes County, they had 43 different projects. That's a project that's maybe $50,000, and that's a project that might be you know, $2 million. And so each one of those is categorized as a project, and then we also report on each one of those projects as well. Now, if we lifted the veil and said, what does it look like in other areas? The dollars go to the transit district, and then they determine through their planning efforts, all of the guiding documents that you know, tell you where you need to be growing and what that looks like, then you invest to, toward those planning efforts versus this um, other makeup that we have. <laughs> Tammy, do you, do you, there's a lot of criticism right now. I mean, there's always a lot of criticism, I think, on transportation plans. Um, but there's a lot of criticism right now that says that um, the city's neglected transit in, the, in Bend and the regional transportation plan. How do you feel about that? You know, I think that this region has been growing so fast for so long that we got a reprieve during the recession. But we were already, in the city of Bend in particular, sorely behind in their transportation investment period that I think that transit has just been overshadowed by greater need. I mean, the potholes, the expansions, the, the actual maintenance and facilities. It's, so I feel that no, it hasn't been neglected. I think that if we look at transportation as a whole, there's just so much need that it's difficult to not just look at a tree trunk and actually see the forest, that transit actually can reduce a lot of those impacts that they're trying to invest toward in expanding road infrastructure, when actually if we made appropriate investments in transit, you, you end up getting a balance. So I, I wouldn't, go ahead. Well, don't. I mean, don't you feel like Central Oregon has always had kind of this, I want to say it's a love-hate relationship with transit, but it's more like a dislike-hate relationship where they really don't, I mean, most transit districts, people have to step up and fund. I mean, there's right. always in this conversation around transit, which drives me a little crazy that somehow transit's going to pay for itself. And I don't know what model they look at, you know, to, to get that idea but 
you know, as we increase and continue to grow eventually, and I feel like it's got to come from an organization like COIC to say, it's not going to pay for itself. You know, right. like people got to step. If a transit district is receiving around 20% fare recovery toward their operations, they are the golden ticket. I mean, <laughs> that is what you aspire to. Transit, public transportation is subsidized, but there's a benefit there. Individuals getting sure. their needs, it, it, you know, livability, independence, ability to not be relying on a single occupancy vehicle, the air quality, the congestion. I mean, there are so many benefits that you can show benefit in the economy. But the challenge, we've also, I mean, it, it saddened me a bit to see the war on cars. Don't make me get out of my car. Right. I don't live in an urban area to have services like that. You know, or I live in a I live in an unincorporated area. I shouldn't expect to have urban services. I mean, this sort of dynamic. Um, it, it, I'd liken it to you know I don't have school kids in the school district or in school, so why am I paying for schools? It, so it's this sort of, and I think it gets back to where's the value in transit and how do we share that message? Because I'm not going to invest in something if I don't see the value to the community as a whole, and we won't get everyone. There well, be some people. All we need, all someone needs to do is get on the road to Redmond at around four o'clock uh, and they'll feel the impact there. And that's, right. that impact is going to grow. And that's not a very, and the idea that you're going to pave your way out of that. I mean, a lot of people are living in Redmond now and all the stuff about affordable housing can only go so far. At a certain point, you have to realize that you know, there, there are things called bedroom communities and they need transit and they're the ones that bring workers in. And I mean, we have that here at the source, you know, and, um, you know, I just, but I don't ever see that being sold to voters. I don't see people coming out and going, transit is not going, it's, it was the same thing with the fairgrounds for a while. These, some of these things, a, a municipal art center that somehow right. those things are going to pay for themselves. No, they're amenities that the community enjoys and benefits from as a whole. Right. And this is one that will pay dividends in terms of economic recovery, because you're right. If people are one car breakdown from making it to work, not only is the business losing out on that person's productivity and the ability to get the job done, but that person now and their family or themselves individually now have a crisis if they've lost their job. So there's a, not to mention that we provide a lot of transportation for the uh, for RPA, for the school in Redmond, the Redmond Proficiency Academy or for the college, now, obviously online classes right now, but there's a big benefit in people being able to access education, employment, um, you know, we could get to the choice rider who's doing that for other reasons, but there is a very big core that needs public transit to be able to have their just daily needs met. You know, for me coming into this organization a year and a half ago, though, um, I would submit that I don't want to go to the voters or to go out to the public and say, you need to invest in this until I can show the value and the confidence in the ability for us to provide that service in a meaningful way. Sure. And I wouldn't say that we have not been doing that, but I would say that we have improvements that need to be made for us to be able to really share that value and for the public to have confidence in our ability to really um, grow this in a meaningful way that is going to lessen impacts versus create more. And so I would say that, that we are not there quite yet. 
But isn't some of that responsibility on the city of Bend to like not only provide more funding, but like brain power? Um, there's been a critique that transit was barely touched on in the Citizen Transportation Advisory Board and that the city gains a lot by having transit because then they can say, we've taken all these cars off the road. Um, can you explain how that fits in? Sure, we have a really strong partnership with the city and that I think one of the disadvantages to some of the inner workings of those relationships is that you don't really see that all the time. It's sort of, and you hear this other chatter that sounds like there's not good working uh, relationships. I would say that ours is very strong in our planning efforts and supporting. Um, the City of Bend's contribution, which is around 1.4 million, is about a third of the cost that it uh, takes to operate the Bend fixed route system. So some would say, well, should they just pull that funding and you know, does it just go away? We're not operating off only the City of Bend funding anyway. I mean, it's the value there um, is well beyond just what a city can provide because we have individuals that are coming into work we have this community connector network. People are living outside of Bend and coming in. So um, I would also submit that there was a comment made recently, should the city not invest because of House Bill 2017 and the payroll tax? Well, the answer is unfortunately, they can't divest those funds. The House Bill 2017 funding was for expanded services. So it's written into the legislation and its legislative intent that you continue that investment. So the question would be, um, not does that money go away, but is it enough, maybe? And right. um, so I, I would say that the, it's a pretty good bang for the buck right now, uh, but I would also say that the city can't shoulder that only on their own, that I think at some point we need to be what we should be, which is likely a transit district. And it takes away some of those other um, issues of kind of complicating our ability to grow uh, in a meaningful way and getting to the qualified entity discussion that I was talking about and how funds flow. Um, if you have a, a board of commissioners or city council that maybe do not really view transit as a, a major um, you know, value, some of those projects maybe feel a little bit more emotionally driven than data driven. And you could end up with a system that's pretty fragmented instead of really creating something that's gonna be seamless and serve the need. Is that, is that the danger of setting up a separate taxing district for Ben that you would lose some of the cohesion or some of the one, one organization running for the, for the region? Well, oddly, it could still be comprised, the board could be comprised of a subsidiary of COIC. And the city is a member, it actually is our largest contributing uh, member in terms of dues. So I think it comes down to how it's structured. The city could do their own. There was legislation a couple of years ago that allows CYC to tax, but that's alongside the taxing entity, which would be the city of Bend. Sure. So we would work with the city, work with the community. What do you think is the um, reasonable level of funding? And then go out to the public and, and make an ask. Um, but I would get back to, do we hold the confidence and trust of the community right now? Not yet. And I underscore yet because I do believe that we will get there. Um, but right now, we need to be able to show that value and give confidence that if the public were to invest, that it would be a good investment. I, I, would, I would even add to that, going back to what I said earlier, that 
once you did get all your ducks in a line and you did feel confident about your ability to provide, there's still a large uh, hearts and minds battle that needs to be waged to convince people that transit is an important thing for a community to invest in and, and support, regardless of whether you actually use it yourself. Because as Ben becomes more affluent, uh, I think it becomes a pretty hard sell to say, hey, get out of your Porsche and, uh, and help these folks, you know, get the bus from Redmond. And do you see COIC playing a role in, in furthering that discussion? I absolutely do. Our job is to help inform the public of the value in that investment. And so maybe I do live in Redmond, but I work in Bend and I have a Porsche, but I don't want to drive it. I want to be able to read or listen to a podcast. I want to make sure that the system that I'm on is uh, reliable, convenient, it's gonna, I'm not gonna get dropped off in town and it's gonna be winter time and now I have to figure out how I'm gonna make it the you know, mile to the neck to my work. You know, we need to be putting together, and that's where the mobility hubs comes into a conversation as well, having other transportation options there. Maybe it's a bike share, uh, maybe it's you know, park and rides, maybe it's there are other ways in which we can grow this system to make it more uh, convenient and reliable. And I absolutely feel that we have a role in that in being able to tell that story. Can you talk a little bit about the mobility hubs and what the timeline is for getting those going? You bet. So as with the grant and contract funded organization, we are constantly looking for funds to grow this system and, and meet our needs. Because some of it isn't even just grow, it's protecting the asset we currently have. And so the mobility hubs would be moving away from what's called a hub and spoke model. Right now, everything comes into Hawthorne. Greyhound, the point, the breeze, you name it, they all come in. And all of the bus transfers happen at Hawthorne. So the mobility hubs disperses that impact into uh, away from an, an impact like Hawthorne Station and makes small little community hubs where people transferring in that area are going somewhere in that area where you're actually building a system that has less impact but more benefit. And a mobility hub, if you've been in Redmond, there's one by the Fred Meyer, and it has a bathroom, it has a little sawtooth place for the buses to go in, it has a little park bench and some landscaping, has a few parking spots. That might be a little larger than some of the ones that we might wanna build. Um, with the, transfer, or the uh, transportation bond in Bend, there is funding in there for the mobility hubs. It comes down to when would the city prioritize that spend out of the bond proceeds, should they be successful? So we, of course, would be pushing that there is impact right now at Hawthorne. We want to be able to leverage those resources um, and be able to move away from this hub and spoke model. And so, you know, my hope is in the next three years, we're seeing something that feels a little bit less, um, but we're also improving the area around Hawthorne Station and so that we can flow the buses differently and um, move the traffic in a different way so we can lessen that impact too in the short run. Tammy, we are running out of time. Are there, is there anything that we haven't brought up that you wanna to speak to before we're out of time? Well, I just appreciate the interest. And you know, for those that don't use this system, helping to tell the story of the value of to, to your neighbor of what your neighbor might experience is an important place for people to play a role. And I just ask that people continue to stay engaged and help us refine this system so that as a region, it meets our needs and is something that we can be proud of.
because we're certainly here and we're providing the service and we can't do that alone. Tammy, who's your biggest, who's your biggest funding ally for transit funds? Are there organizations or groups, I mean, other than the city and your regional partners, that work closely to help you realize change those kind of dollars? Well, we have um, the Council on Aging, organizations such as that, um, organizations that are supporting people having independence and uh, so those types of organizations, but I would say that our largest advocate really is ODOT. I mean, we really have a strong relationship. I mean, it matters because there's a win there for them too. If we're not, we can't build our way out of, as you mentioned, Aaron, the transportation uh, needs in any part of the state. And so we have to be looking at other ways in order to move people and to add to quality of life. And so organizations that directly benefit by transit are our allies, um, but ODOT is, is a great partner with us too. Well, I can only imagine as our region continues to boom and these outlying communities like Redmond and Bend start merging together, intergovernmental councils just seem like they're gonna be more and more important to managing everybody's individual needs for their community and pooling resources like you did for um, the PPP funds and other funds like that. So. Yes, we're, we're here and ready, which is you know, our jobs to get to yes and to provide that backbone support. So we're excited to be a part of the region. Well, Tammy, thanks for your time. I, uh, yeah. I look forward to the uh, moment when our podcast is transitioning from Zoom to in-person again, or, and, and we can start doing a little more face-to-face -face as, as we all do. So thanks for taking the time. Yes, thank you for all that you do. Wonderful to see you both.